Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another lovely rendition of the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is this band Liam. What's up, buddy? Yeah, welcome. Uh, hello from the grave, from beyond the grave. You've been uh, shadow banned. I've been, no, I've been actually banned. <laughs> this uh, seems like cancel culture Twitter. to me, bro. That's it. Does seem like it's funny how that works? <laughs> uh, yeah, I got banned for uh, threatening to fight turfs. So, yeah, uh, I think we've done that before on the show as well. Um, and I stand by it. No actionable threats of violence. However, I, encourage- I did actionable <laughs> threats of violence, supposedly. <laughs> However, I, I, I encourage uh, I encourage our listeners to uh, to defend our trans comrades by any means necessary. Um, we'll leave those we'll leave those methods up to up to your imagination, apparently. That's right. See, that's why I'm not banned, Liam. <laughs> oh, oh, look at this. You're not banned over here. I, and it's I'm funny a- that two thirds of this podcast are, are, of well, there's your problem has gotten banned for defending other people's honor. I th- it wasn't Roz banned for saying that someone's like neighborhood should be uh, like, yeah, he was salted to the earth. He insulted my mom and he threatened to do the punic wars to them. <laughs> <laughs> See, that is very on brand for the show. And a shout out to Roz of, well, there's your problem for, for spitting a burn. I can seriously respect. Yes. And um, getting banned in the process. So now I, I we, honestly, I am shocked that that was a problem. I, I cannot believe we got mass reported for that. I assumed the term, yeah. you know, tweeted and then I got mass reported. I assume somebody reported all my tweets uh, and I, I appealed. And uh, apparently uh, you, as long as I, if I had done an anti-Semitism or a Holocaust denial, that would have been fine. No, you'd probably be verified. Yeah. I'd have a blue check mark that I could never get banned. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked. I made it through um, fighting with the Azeri government without getting banned uh, because they have like literal bot farms that will mass report Armenians and stuff. And I, I am legitimately shocked uh, that did not happen to me. Must uh, be nice, Joe. Instead, I just got a lot of death threats. One guy uh, attempted to dox me and sent me the wrong address to a doctor, Kasabian, which is not me. Um, and also, I think last... I'm a doctor, though. Yeah, thanks for thinking. I think he was a dentist. Thanks, I guess. I definitely wouldn't pass dental school. Um, it's not real. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, d- dentistry is definitely, it's like chiropractic, right? Your, your teeth are just naturally fine, they don't actually need care. Um, speaking of a guy uh, who did not uh, care about modern medical science, we're going to talk about a guy named Jean Badel of Bocasa. Have you ever heard of this guy? Uh, not until a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, I'll what preface this by me to him. <laughs> what is your favorite crazy ruler of all time? I know, like this is like a hard question because you have to just kind of laugh at insanity that that just caused horrible misery to people. Uh, the total weirdo over the weirdo that ruled over the general that real, ruled over uh, Myanmar or Burma that was like guided by his dreams and at one point just made people start driving on the other side of the road because he thought his country was going too far to the left. Wasn't so that the guy who the built right? the, uh, like a brand new capital that nobody lives in now? Yes. Perfect. Uh, this guy very much that energy. Uh, and the reason why uh, Jean Badel Bocasa is definitely my favorite crazy ruler is because anybody who's ever listened to the show for any prolonged period of time, or maybe the series that we did about Napoleon's invasion of Russia, where I was allowed to gush openly i am a napoleon nerd uh because i have a history degree i am a basic ass history bitch in some ways uh like my my most of my undergrad was talking about napoleon so like yeah we even have merch modeled on him like this shouldn't surprise you that like i'm a huge napoleon nerd. i try not to let it show um that much piss poor job i my bad um you're welcome uh but this guy this guy is what would happen if I was uh, put in charge of a country, I guess, and then just given not a, not a, a gross domestic product of a nation, but like a literal allowance uh, to do French. whatever <laughs> the fuck I wanted. Oh, uh, don't worry. Muammar Gaddafi makes an appearance because of oh, course good. he does. All <laughs> friend Bobar. Oh, yeah. boy. Yep. Yep. Friend of the pod, Muammar Gaddafi. Now... This is the story of how a guy from the middle of Africa put my obsession to shame, attempting to carve out an empire for himself and crowning himself the Napoleonic emperor of a very poor, destitute country in the most insane way possible. Uh, but uh, so to start off, I'll point out the source I use for the majority of this. It's a book called Dark Age, The Political Odyssey of Emperor Bokassa, written by a guy named Brian Titley. I'll let you... I'll give you a second to laugh at that. Um, I'd tell you to pick it up as I normally do when it comes to our uh, resources that I use. But I think it's out of print. I paid way too much for it. And also, it's very dry and dense. So don't read it. It kind of sucks. Just uh, listen but, to our podcast instead. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't know many of many other shows have covered this guy. There's a couple YouTube videos that are like, isn't this guy nuts? Uh, but there's a lot more to it than that, as there always is. Um and Brian does have a voice of oh, a very much of a white guy writing about a crazed African dictator. So I, I you kind of have to you know, filter through risk. it a yeah, lot. Sure. And there's the, the reason for that. And you're probably asking, well, why did you use that as a source, Joe? Is because there's not really anything written about this guy. Um, I looked at the wiki. It's pretty sparse. It, it's fucking empty. And almost every uh, citation is from this book. Um, now, there's been much more written in French. I don't speak French, um, and every I time I tr- <laughs> and, and every time I try to I try to say anything in French, I get laughed at. So that's how I feel with the Wunderwaffe episode because half the shits in German, and I'm like, not learning German for this one. That is every time I also attempt to say a word in German uh, because Nate speaks German, and he's like, actually, it's pronounced this way, and sends me like a WhatsApp clip of him saying it correctly. I'm like, wow, I fucked that up. <laughs> um. So before we talk about Jean Bocasa, we do have to talk about how exactly a Napoleonic cosplayer popped up as the emperor of a f- small country in the middle of Africa, literally called the Central African Republic, 
later the Central African Empire. Uh, it's also referred to as Central Afrique, which I think is it's like a compound word in French. Mm-hmm. But this also means we get to talk about the scramble for Africa again. Again, yeah, yay. Yeah. Now, everyone knows about Leopold II of Belgium, and I'm going to assume most of you know about German Southwest Africa at this point. If you haven't or don't, go back and listen to our two-part series and um, be sad for a bit. Um, Now, while all this is going on, the French established French West Africa, which today would be Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, Benin, and the Ivory Coast, Guinea, and Senegal. Francophone Africa, right? Um, Luckily, an incredibly stable part of the world. Uh, uh, some better no, than it's others. Incredibly stable. It's incredibly stable. Don't worry about it. Shut up. <laughs> Especially uh, nothing bad currently happening in Mali, Niger, or Burkina Faso. Um, there, there is no Islamic State in Mali. Shut up. Ooh, um, meanwhile, at the same time, Henry Morton Stanley was carving out a genocidal empire for Leopold. The French explorer named de Braza was doing much of the same for France, using the exact same kind of uh, techniques that we spoke about in our Namibian genocide series. Um, now, you can see the, uh, the footprints of this in the Congolese town of Brazzaville, uh, which is named for after him, uh, eventually pushing northward through the uh, Obengui River, forcing through frauds, threats, and other force of arms, the natives of the area to sign protection treaties with the French. This entire area became known as French Equatorial Africa, and it was fucking huge. Uh, by the time the, the least imaginative goddamn names possible. Uh, they, you don't really have to give them good names if all you're going to do is use it as like a personal bank. True. Uh, I'll just go fuck myself. <laughs> by the time of the Berlin Conference of 1884 and 85, that split up uh, of mm. Africa amongst the inbred dickheads of Europe. We talked about that again a little bit more during the Namibian series. Uh, France controlled over a quarter of the entire continent. So a lot of it is France. Now, just to under, underline how much of this is prestige rather than a scramble for actual riches, much of what France controlled when they actually took it over was thought to be completely worthless, barren desert, other than, you know, the people that people lived and settled live on there. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Fuck that. <laughs> now, they didn't know at the time it was going to actually have things like uranium in it. Uh, but, you know, at the time, like, look, land, whatever. It was like it was also sparsely populated. I think uh, the central Central Afrique only has maybe about a million and a half to two million people in it, uh, and most and back then it would have been significantly less. Um, but it looked good on a map and helped massage the ego of France, which, if you remember those dates, had just gotten the shit kicked out of it in the Franco-Prussian War. So it was like we really need to uh, massage our egos a bit after having our literal emperor captured by the Germans. Um, now, the empire would expand after the destruction of the German Empire at the end of World War One, claiming <laughs> most of yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately for a lot of Africans, they'd end up, you know, part of South Africa. Uh, That's a- yeah. <laughs> now, these lands are pretty much split between the British and the French, right? Uh, the French took parts. The British ended up taking Namibia, folding into the Union of South Africa, uh, or what was then the Southwest Africa. But one thing this uh, empire did do, rather than supplying material riches at the time, was applying a vast supply of manpower to use during times of war. Now, you can rightfully consider these colonial troops cannon fodder, because that's what the Africans under French rule would be used for, rather than churning up another generation or so of French youth. 
over a half a million African colonial forces fought for France in the uh, France in the First World War. French, <laughs> French, uh, and then another two hundred thousand during the Second World War. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how that's exactly squared up in the second a little bit later on. Um, in the middle of all of this was Obangui Chari, eventually known as Central Afrique or the Central African Republic. This is one of the more neglected and obscure corners of the empire, later called the French Union, to make everybody feel better about things. Yeah, so you guys were all on the same team. We're not guys. an empire, we're a union, guys. It's different. Anyway, give us rubber, we're going to cut your hands off. Yeah. Now, this area is split between two dominant ethnic groups, the Banda and the Baya. But there were minority populations known as the Mbaka, which the French would pluck out of uh, kind of like a, a lot of like the Hutus and the Tutsis and a few other things in these colonial spaces. They would pick one specific race or tribe or whatever ethnic group and be like, there's our, there's our guys. We don't know why, but those are the ones. Um, now, they, they do this to, like a divide and conquer type things. They empower one group to oppress other groups so they don't have to do it themselves. And this is the Mbaka uh, in this area. The capital of Bangui was was built where there wasn't much of a city before. It was a, kind of a decent sized village. Uh, but around the same time, the French split Equatorial Africa into what, are, what were literally known as zones of exploitation. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Now they would rent out these zones to private companies, and they would those companies would run these zones as fiefdoms. Uh, Who says white people have no culture? Yeah, uh, like the the French didn't. The French government and the colonial administration did not care what you did within those zones as long as you produced wealth. Um, now, Is this similar to the German model? Did you get government support? I mean, I assume so because you're in the zone of exploitation. Uh, I would say this is more in line with what Leopold did. Uh, Leopold okay. also had zones of exploitation. Um, zones of exploitation. And remember, the Germans settled in uh, in Namibia. Like, there's white people in Namibia today that are German. That's fucking... That's a mind fuck, man. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of settling going on here. It was exploitation um yeah it says so right there at the zone <laughs> yeah which you you did see some settling in uh the congo free state which then ended up sparking an entire civil war later on uh but it was much more exploit exploitative than settling um because yeah. they, they didn't want to live there they want to rip the wealth out of it uh, and send it home which is why all the museums and universities and things in belgium are all built on blood um but the goal was short-term profit, not long-term colonization or settlement. Because of this, hardly anything that could be considered infrastructure, not directly related into tearing shit out of the ground and shipping it out, was built. So like, there was a, a very rudimentary railway built, but it, it went out of the country in one specific way towards the ocean. Because Central Afrique is uh, landlocked. So it has to be sent out, I believe, to, through Cameroon. Um, to be loaded onto boats and then shipped back to Europe. What a and bunch of dicks, man. The only um, infrastructure that is built is directly related to that venture. Nothing is like there's no schools, there's no houses, right. there's nothing. I suppose at least they're not at least they're they're not sugarcoating it. That's something, I guess. And that was uh, again something Leopold II did. What were like to the point of when Congo was given its independence? I think there was like a dozen people in the country had a college education. 
in the entire country of Congo. So like, you know, very much the same thing, which isn't shocking. Um, Now, slavery was illegal in France at the time, and that law did spread to its colonies. So, Wow, progress, boys. (laughs) No, no, no. You just create slavery with extra steps. No, I heard progress, boys. You've heard the term corvée before, right? Yes. So for people who aren't aware, corvée is effectively conscription to work in the fields. Um, It's not technically slavery, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. You could not legally refuse your corvée orders. Um, If you didn't, you would be lashed and your family would be thrown in prison until you met work quotas. Now, as you can imagine, after a while, Africans got sick of this shit. By the 1920s, the Baya people began to unify around a religious man named Karnu, who began to preach resistance. He also happened to tell everyone that he had a special herb like mixture that would turn the French into gorillas, like the monkey, not like gorilla fighter. fighters. Sure. <laughs> yeah, they, they turned them into monkeys. And then he, uh, he also had magical hoe handles uh, that he would give to his uh, believers and they would make them impervious to bullets. You know, Magical Ho Handles is my name down at the strip club, Joe. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, unfortunately, these did not work. Um, oh. Yeah. That's it a would, shame. <laughs> now, um, this uprising did not free the land, and instead the French crushed it with brutal savagery. However, this took some time. <laughs> and I hit the vape pen. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hit those special herbs. <laughs> Liam slowly transforming into an ape. Oh, please just it, give me my Twitter account back. <laughs> it, it's uh, you ever read Animorphs? Hell yeah, man! You know that the, the front cover turns into a hawk. Yeah, yeah. The, the front <laughs> cover with you, like you'd see each step of the way. Yeah, it, just get trapped right in the middle of becoming an ape. Whatever, um, man. At least, uh, <laughs> at least I can free myself from this prison. Uh, now, this uprising continued till the 1930s in small fits and starts, but while all of this is going on in 1921, a boy named Jean Bedel Bocasa was born in the vid- village of Bobangui. Like most kids of the day, he grew up watching the, men's of, the men of his family being forced out into Corvée, the rosters of which were organized by Bocasa's dad, who was the village headman and chief because he was Mbaka, so like, his family had privilege. Uh, as the Carnu Rebellion swept through the land, Bokasa's dad eventually joined up. His father freed multiple people being held at the company uh, that they were being slaves to. But like I already pointed out, this rebellion would end up failing. So Bokasa's dad, like many men involved, were dragged out to the town square and beaten to death by company goons right in front of their family. Also in front of their family, his mother killed herself. I love the French. So, uh, from a young age, young Bocasa... That was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. Just in case anyone wants to cancel me again. Sorry. It canceled for liking the French. Uh, <laughs> it's a curse. On this podcast, we eat freedom fries, goddammit. Um, <laughs> Go on. So, from a young, young age, uh, Bocasa is very mentally fucked, uh, to use a scientific term. He's watched his whole family die in front of him. Um, yeah, fuck me up. Just get violently murdered. Uh, not to mention, this is not the only case of violence he would witness. And a lot of people have opined that since Bocasa was forced to watch this kind of thing multiple times as a young boy, 
he uh, you know had some underlying psychological issues, but he also learned the best way to control people was through terror and violence, which yeah, probably. Yeah, I assume this is going to pop up at some point. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you are correct. Something I am sure that won't come back to haunt, I don't know, the people of the Central African Republic. Bokasa is put in the care of his large extended family, and they decided it would be best for him if he went and attended school. Um, now, the only schools in the region for use were, uh, were for white kids, uh, mostly. It was for people connected to the companies. But the only Africans allowed in were generally upper class people of the Mbaka tribe, which Bokasa was. So he was able to get in. Unfortunately, everybody knew who his dad was. And, uh, you know, kids throughout time have sucked. So they all bullied him constantly because his dad got murdered by the company. Which cool. is like, there's a level cool. of bullying that like I'm not familiar with. Like, even when I, when I was in school, my dad uh, died. He killed himself. And even then, kids didn't like make fun of me for it. I can't imagine how shitty your kids have to be like, remember when your dad got beaten to death by the guy who oversees the rubber plantation? Loser. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, he was a pretty small kid uh, at the time, uh, but he learned to settle all of his problems, again, through violence. Whenever anybody, <laughs> whenever anybody made fun of him or his dad, he would beat the shit out of them. Um, and this worked. This led to every kid in the school being absolutely terrified of him. Uh, so he's learning. Uh, not not good. He, he went like, you know how they say going to prison in the U.S. is like going to like criminal academy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he he's just continuing to go through like the the, the alternative education path of, of of being like a French dictator. He's like, wait, if I hit people, they'll listen to me. Mm. He did well enough in school that he was recommended to go to a seminary and become a priest, uh, though he failed out as soon as he started. Shit career path. <laughs> um, also, the guy who was, uh, who was training, uh, the, the priest who was training the, the seminary students really didn't like him and thought he was really weird. Probably on the kind of all the violence and, and psychological damage. Oh, man. I just feel bad for this kid. I know he's going to be a genocidal dictator, but like... <laughs> Yeah, I, I can rest assure you that you will not feel bad for him for very long, at least. Okay. <laughs> now, having failed, he went to Brazzaville to train as a cook, and he eventually graduated from school in 1939. But he didn't like being a cook, so he didn't want to go through that path. Now, Is being the genocidal violence again. Uh, he, he was he was pulled to uh, was it uh, night school for genocidal dictators? Ah. <laughs> now, 18 years old, Bocasa wasn't sure what he wanted to do. But he saw a recruiter for the French military. Now, if you notice the date, things get even worse for young Bocasa. Uh-oh. <laughs> As he enlisted in May of 1939, only a month, uh, a oh, month or so no. before the start of World War II. Now, as everybody's aware, France crumbled uh, before most of the colonial soldiers under its command could be brought to bear. And uh, it finally did. Uh, but Bocasa landed under the command of the Free French and Charles de Gaulle. Now, I'm not going to talk about this for very long, but he has a weird relationship with Charles de Gaulle. Um, that, that does not shock me. Not even a little. To be clear, Charles de Gaulle hated Bokassa, uh, but Bokassa called him literally his father. Um, like when Charles de Gaulle died, uh, Bokassa then uh, he was president, not emperor yet. But uh, he went to the funeral and was crying so loudly it, anno- it annoyed Charles de Gaulle's widow to the point she left. <laughs> 
Oh, like I, I just feel bad for him. I know I'm not gonna in a minute, but I feel bad for him now. And like when uh, Bocasa took took over, he said that like Charles de Gaulle said that like he could take power, and de Gaulle didn't even know what his name was. Um, oh, that's embarrassing. Yeah, more like his stepdad. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the relationship I had with my stepdad. Uh, now, this was by no choice of Bocasa's. It's not like he made the right ethical choice of not backing the Nazi puppet regime in France. Um, it, there's actually a, a pretty good chance he couldn't tell the difference between the two sides. He simply went where his unit did. And of all of the colonies, uh, French Equatorial Africa was the only one to set up the free French government in exile, taking Bocasa with it. Now, without the Equatorial African uh Aside, the French, the Free French Movement probably wouldn't have succeeded. Um, it, it was there that de Gaulle was able to reform something of a government exile, march his forces out to link up with the British. It, it gave him a base of operations. Right. the The forces it used for legitimacy were mostly African, something that certainly wouldn't be swept under the rug for most of modern French history. Mm. Uh, when Paris was captured, they purposely uh, shifted all of the colonial troops out and only had white Frenchmen. Marched through it. The French. Yep. yep. But Bocasa thrived in the military. He was promoted every year, uh, taking part in the Allied landings in province uh, right before the end of the war. He, by all means, was a very good soldier. With the war in Europe over in 1945, most of Bocasa's comrades mustered out of the military. Uh, they wanted to go home. Uh, it, there was some point that the French were like, yeah, you can move here. Like, you don't have to, like, for your military service, you can move to France. Stuff like that. But for some of them. But he decided to stay in. In the 1950s, he went to officer school, though France was still racist as, as hell and wouldn't actually allow him to attend school in France. So he had to attend the one in Senegal instead. After that, he was deployed to Indochina, modern-day Vietnam, in France's vain and futile attempt to hold on to their colonial possession. Um, At this point, they had switched their name to the the Union of France. Uh, Like World War II, Bocasa loved his time in Vietnam. Uh, He did see some combat. Uh, He was wounded a few times, uh, but there's no major... Uh, combat citations of note on his record. Shocker. But what he did love was fucking. <laughs> now, according to several people and also him, he would spend every moment of his day looking to fuck. Um, now, <laughs> this is just being a soldier. I can attest to that. Any, anyone in the military uh, could say, like, yep, he was definitely in the military. Uh, though, like all soldiers, he eventually found the woman of his dreams, a 17-year-old sex worker in Saigon. Oh. Um, now, they got... Uh. Ma- <laughs> a match made in heaven. Uh, now, that is, it sounds gross, and it is, but you know it wasn't illegal at the time. Um, now, they got married, or Bocasa says they got married. There's no record of them getting married anywhere. Um, now, this could be a loss of records. Uh, he does seem to absolutely love this woman uh, and he and this seems to be the only child he actually loves as well as the as the a daughter who he has with her he has registered as a french national which is something he could do because he was a french national um now eventually bocasso was sent back to europe as he often was uh you know soldiers don't stay for the whole 
decade or so of war with Indochina, they rotated and out after a set amount of time, right? Sure. Uh, Boca- Bocas had done that a few times already over the last three years. He'd, he'd been going back and forth a lot. So he assumed that he would be coming back to Vietnam as he always had. Because of that, he left his wife and child behind because you know his wife's family is there. Right. But he would never return. Um, oh. While he was gone, the Battle of Dien Bien Phu would end the French War and Bocasa would never again go back to Vietnam. Uh, or see his child bride. Actually, uh, funny oh, thing about that. Oh, no. I so, know where this is going to go, but oh, no. <laughs> so, like I said, so by the end, uh, we're doing this is a two part series. By the end, this Bocasa will have been married 17 times. Good for him. You got to stay fighting, Joe. You know? um, a lot of those at the same time. Uh, he was a polygamist. Uh, he was not a Mormon, but polygamist nonetheless. Um, and uh, he just seemed to be the only one he actually loved. Uh, and like he had uh, like 60 kids, I think. Um, this, is the only, this is the only kid he ever showed that he had any fatherly relationship with at all. Um, like, uh, so he, once he became president, he, uh, used his new power to ask France to find his wife and kid in Vietnam. Uh, and they did kind of, um, they found a woman claiming to be his child. Uh, so they sent her to Africa alongside this woman claiming to be his wife. Um, there was not the right people. Uh, but he didn't know cause he hadn't seen them for decades. A at long this point. time. Right. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, look. Close enough, I guess. Maybe you age differently. I don't know. Um, but when he found, when France uh, admitted, like, whoa, whoa, we got the wrong people. He's the right people. He actually, this is the most, the most love he's ever shown for anybody was in this moment. He just allowed those people to stay in Central Africa, living like uh, queens you know, in in their own palace, everything, and then brought the real ones there as well. And they were like neighbors in palaces, and he treated them both like they were daughters. Though his real it's, wife, it's, his it's real noble. first wife went back home. Yeah. His, oh. <laughs> his real first wife was like, oh, I'm going to go back to Vietnam. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm out. This whole relationship, this, this fucking imperial polycule is getting real weird. Uh, but after all this time, he would go back to France, get promoted again, now a second lieutenant, and then he would eventually make captain. And he'd eventually go back to Bangui, the capital of the Central African Republic. And this is the first time he'd be home in 20 years. Uh, this is the first time he'd be there as the Central African Republic. And it was on the cusp of independence. Now, after World War II, the old world version of colonialism was becoming untenable, unprofitable, and unpopular. During World War II, de Gaulle had to promise these colonies to end the old systems in order to win them over to his side. Not to mention, you know, getting their asses kicked by Germany made them seem a whole lot less unbeatable to their subjects, right? It's bad for the PR. Right. Um, so de Gaulle only really promised actual French investment in infrastructure in the colonies, which, uh, would begin a continued path to reform. The French didn't want to lose their overseas possessions, but after wars in Vietnam and the ongoing clusterfuck in Algeria, as well as unrest pretty much across the empire. Yeah. (laughs) And like unrest pretty much across the empire. Sorry, union. uh, It's it's a union. empire. Yeah. It became clear that all of these things were going to come apart, whether it be through popular resistance like was happening in Algeria and Vietnam or people just breaking off. So instead of fighting over it, the French tried to play nice. They allowed Africans to vote and have representation in Paris, 
Well, when that wasn't enough to make people not want their own freedom, France played another card. There'd be a referendum on the Fifth Republic's constitution. For the overseas colonies who wanted independence, they only had to vote no, at which point they'd immediately become independent with no further French assistance. Now, you can see why that would be a problem. Bit of a dick move, but all right. Yeah. It was actually worse than that. Uh, one nation was. took them up on this, Guinea, uh, and retribution was swift. Without French assistance in, in I'll consider intervention in these places. The countries didn't have much left to stand on. And French made it, the, the French and the Belgians and every other colonial power in Africa did that on purpose. And they did more than that. They took everything that wasn't bolted down or anything that could generate wealth in their absence, saying it was French property. This included blowing up or stealing mining equipment on the way out. Jesus Christ. Uh, so, of course, this led Guinea to be like, man, fuck the French. They turned to the Soviets for help because, you know. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Still have it. Um, Gotta go. Of course, this scared the shit out of France and NATO. Like, how could they possibly turn towards the Soviets? And like, to be fair, Guinea wasn't communist. They, they're like, well, who the fuck else can we turn to? And that was a, that was another thing that a lot of the French allies were like, yeah, we won't do business with them either. Like, we'll do you a solid. Fuck those guys. So like, they had nobody else to turn to, which of course means, I guess they're communists now, right? And like, Bokasa would eventually use that against them as well. Now, the Central African Republic was in a weird limbo area, not able to control many of its own structures by the French Constitution, while being told by the French government they were to run themselves, while leaving things like defense policymaking, trade, and economic development to the French and the private sector, which controlled most of everything still. Now, its premier was a priest named Boganda. He was very popular and favored independence, but saw doing so functionally impossible, which was the entire point of the French government at the time, right? You know, make, right. make the idea of independence terrifying to the point that you just give up and go with it. Right. Now, the French really did not like him uh, because he was openly in favor of independence. But like he was like, you know, I believe in freedom. However, oh, you know, no. he, yeah. So like he was a realist. Uh, and obviously we can't say how this would go if Boganda was in charge because the French are going to kill him. Oh, <laughs> his plane mysteriously crashed in 1959. <laughs> Funny how that works. And the wreckage tested positive for explosives. Um, now, if that wasn't damning enough, the French high commissioner, the Frenchman who was actually in control of the colony, so like the, you know, the premier Boganda fell under the, the, the commissioner, right? Mm -hmm. He immediately ordered a blanket ban on any media in, or press that talked about the explosives thing. So ah. French killed him. I feel comfortable saying that. French, French did it. Now, this led to a rise of a guy named David Daco, a man we will be talking about quite a bit. This guy sounds like an asshole already. He is. Uh, France oh, supported good. him. Now, Daco, along with various other premiers of the area, began to argue for full independence without the loss of French investment. Daco was also a sovereigntist. Like, he didn't like the French Union at all. Mm -hmm. um, now, France also saw that cutting them off completely like they did with Guinea leads to them becoming communists so they can get money and weapons and stuff. So in 1960, the French finally granted them independence in order to keep them within their sphere of influence. It's known as like the, the Franc bloc or whatever, mm -hmm. the, the, the French economic zone. It was all pretty much all Franc of Franc bloc, I like that. Yeah, it was all of Francophone Africa and then France. Uh, Daco became the head of state 
uh, with by-elections to follow and general elections after that. Now, Daco's party lost the by-elections, leading them to believe, probably rightly, that he would lose the general election to the opposition. So he did what else? Get rid of those fuckers! He arrested all of them on fake charges as evidence that France was fine with this, besides the fact that they almost certainly installed Daco. Every magistrate in the country was French. Mm. And they all found Daco's political opponents of guilty of all of the random charges that Daco had levied against them, sentencing <laughs> them to life. Thanks, France. Seems a bit extreme, but all right. Yeah. Afterwards, Daco's political party, the Misan, became the only legal party in the country. Membership was mandatory and you had to pay dues. What? <laughs> what are the other, man? It's just a tithe at that point, right? That's just so rude. This might shock you, but after this, Daco did in fact win the general election with 105% of the vote. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah dude. Making a statement. Making a statement, bro. Because when you're cheating, why bother making any sense at all, yeah, right? Mandate. It's a mandate, Joe. That's right. Now, the Central African Republic, which I will also refer to as CAR, uh, was inflicted with a purposefully induced problem that many formal colonial administrations deal with. There was simply not enough Africans to take over skilled jobs within the government, and most of these jobs were filled with French people. Daco was actually totally fine with this, uh, but he also knew he had to surround himself with sycophants that helped him take power and, you know, kill all of his political opponents. <laughs> so he rapidly promoted anybody who just happened to work for the French, assuming that they would kind of know what they were doing. Ooh. Ooh. Instead, this happened to be like guys like lowly office workers and random government departments down to, you know, the bus driver or whatever. As long as you A, like the French and B, like David Daco, you get a civil service job that paid an incredible amount of money. Um, they were given vast amounts of power and access to the government budget, which everyone robbed blind immediately. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it. Yeah, I would do it too, man. Yeah, the, the, these people are making most Central Africans at this point are making less than a hundred dollars a year. Right. So, like, even some of the you like the privileged you can Bacos, it, Yeah, like now, uh, okay, bus driver, you're now the head of the Minister of Transportation. What and happened I'm to all your buses? I'm taking, I'm taking the shit. Yeah, this I'm is taking my every armored bus. This is my armored bus. What are you going to do about it? I'm taking everything that isn't bolted down and running across the border to Senegal, probably. Uh, and like. The French didn't care. Uh, they were like, oh, this isn't going great, but whatever. It, it, they just kept pumping money into it. Oh, that's the French, baby. Things got so brazenly corrupt and mismanaged that by 1961, when uh, uh, Daco was on a tour of the of the country, peasants and farmers told him to his face they'd rather the French be in charge again. Oh. <laughs> now, like... Oh. This is going to be the case with Bokasa as well, uh, but David Daco and most governments of the Central African Republic, eh, it's kind of a problem today, have no span of government. Uh, most of this is due to corruption, mismanagement, lack of communication infrastructure. But outside of the capital, most people just, the government's more of a vibe. Right. So like, they're like, oh, is that the president? Fuck that guy. <laughs> like, didn't give a you, shit what about is, him. What is that you said about Afghanistan? You physically control the ground you're standing on? Yeah, I mean that's the that's kind of the same. It's the same in a lot of developing places uh, that you know because when you think about it, these countries didn't exist not that long right. ago. They were a, a group of people living on the same area of land that may have had relations with one another in some shape or form, and then Western governments came over like, nah, 
y'all are the Central African Republic now. Work together. Right, your friends now. Hello. Yeah. yeah it's you're, a you're, union, you guys. Yeah. Your countrymen you are make married it work. to me. Right. Now, the main problem was, is that while the French were in charge, there was still corruption. However, it wasn't so in your face. And you also knew uh, the fucking white people are doing it. Now it was corruption with an African face. So like none of, this mo- <laughs> yeah, none of this money went to, to any of the people in need, of which there were many. Instead, more and more of the budget went to the inflated civil service salaries to the point that the entire government budget could not cover it. Uh, <laughs> now, this is a smart move on Daco's part because these empowered people, mostly of the Mbaka tribe, of which he is also a member of the Mbaka tribe, are the people that if they were really unhappy, they would be the ones that kill him or overthrow him. Right. So like I need to make these ten people happy, fuck the other two million. Which is you I know, just most, love the idea most of a bus driver making like five hundred G's a year. I mean, that's what Nicholas Maduro <laughs> was before he got into politics as a bus driver. <laughs> so far has gone swimmingly, right? Um, uh, now when uh the car had budget shortfalls, which was every month. Oh really? Uh, France would swoop in and cover the red areas. They did this because DACA was their guy, and despite unpopularity, he refused he refused to nationalize any resource because all of those private French entities were still in charge of everything. Right. So there's so they because they, they don't care how they're making their money as long as they're making it. Presumably, no, don't fuck with the money. Like that's right. the through line of of history. If you are a country who wants to be independent, you might be able to be as long as you don't fuck with the money. So right. you don't truly have independence. You know. Now, throughout all of this, Bokasa himself played no meaningful role. He was stationed at home in car, but he was um, still a member of the French military. A fledgling car military was forming, so Bokasa decided to get in on the ground floor. He resigned his pos- position with the French military, joining the car one, and becoming a battalion commandant, far above the rank that he once held. Now, this also helped that he was David Daco's cousin. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah. Within a year, in 1963, he became the commander-in-chief of the entire car military, despite the fact that he was a captain in the French military a year earlier. <laughs> hey, man, he's a grinder, you know? He shows up, he, he, he goes after what he wants, you know? Like, I know rank structure is different, but I can, I can only imagine all the dumb commanders that I've had, the company commanders in the U.S. military, captains. Like, I can't imagine, like, su- surprise, you're the chief of staff now. Like, oh, God. I, but I knew him when. I watched him. <laughs> you would not believe the things I've seen this man do. Yeah. I we were about best friends. With the goat? <laughs> now, the car military at this point wasn't much of an entity at all. It was around 500 dudes who had virtually no training or weapons. Um, and then in 1964, Bocasa was made the only colonel in the entire country. Oh. <laughs> he didn't promote himself. His cousin did. And see, it's fine. It's fine. Ed, you're corrupt. Shut up. Now, his rise to power could be thought of as default. Like I said, he was David Daco's cousin, but he was also related to Boganda. Um, and he also happened to be the only captain in the French military from the Mbaka tribe, uh, more specifically from the same village that Daco was from. So, like, he just kept getting promoted. Now, Daco knew that his cousin was kind of an idiot and was very vain and had a bit of a god complex. You don't uh, say. <laughs> at one point, he said that he had a, a he had a, a dream where the Pope came to him. This will be another thing that happens what? a lot. He has a lot of Pope-related imagery uh, and, right. and delusions um, and that told me he was bound to do great things. Uh, he also said that, like, Napoleon spoke to him in his dreams. See, that I'd actually believe. <laughs> uh 
I don't think Napoleon would have great things to say about him as a black man. Uh, Holy wily bastard. He made slavery illegal again in the colonies. Uh, like Haiti, you know, uh, tried to invade them. Oh, I do. I do seem to remember something about that. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Daco knew that his cousin cared more about awards and titles than really anything else. Like he, he just, he went everywhere in dress uniform. Uh, it's Africa. It's hot as fuck. He's wearing like his French dress uniform, which is like made out of wool. One of those guys. Yeah. The guys who stand at parade rest at a Jimmy John's. That's right. Um, now he thought, like he said that he was sent by God to do great things. So he was a little bit worried that he'd have a seat at the table of politics. And that's, he was slowly but surely always getting closer and closer into doing that to the point that like now the army wasn't important. Um, because it was just to, like 50 dudes, right? Yeah. Like he was supposed to, in ceremonies, he was supposed to be like the sixth guy back. And he like kept demanding to stand next to the president. Everywhere he he went, he brought soldiers too, which like made people uncomfortable. I kind of like that. Like, uh, this is my posse. And and like there were still French soldiers stationed in the country. So like Daco didn't really care about his own military. Like, I'm not going to get invaded. The French are here. Nobody cares right. about us. Like, these guys are just here to do parades and stuff, which was pretty much what they did. Um, so he sent his idiot cousin on a soft exile. He ordered him to go to France for a ceremony and then ordered his passport to be revoked, banning him from the country. Oh, dick, dick move, man. Yeah. He's no, not this hardly is, anybody. He just wants to wear his medals and do some shit, man. This is where France stepped in again. Uh-oh. Now, if you believe Bocasa, and to be clear, I do not, uh, Charles de Gaulle himself demanded that David Daco allow his cousin to come back into the oh, country. I believe this wholeheartedly. Because they were, quote, comrades in arms. Yes. A thing that I believe happened now. Now, de Gaulle is notoriously racist, so I highly doubt that he would consider a colonial soldier a guy that, while he did meet, did not remember a comrade. Uh, this is definitely wishful thinking in Bocasa's behalf. But the French did pressure Daco to relent, and he did. Um, now, the reason for this is obvious. Daco was tanking the country. No matter how much money that the French gave him, which was a lot. Ten, it was like hundreds of millions of francs a month. Every month at the end of like, ah, I'm in debt. Help me. <laughs> I'm paying my bunch of... My, my fam- what is it? Please help. My family is starving. Yeah. <laughs> Just bus driver salary. $900 million. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he so another thing that he did was start talking to communists. Daco reached out to China, and China gave him a massive interest-free loan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, like, <laughs> which of course he immediately embezzled. Um, so much, so much money never had- stops, Joe. <laughs> I so it's here's the thing. I know exactly what Jean Badel Bacasa spent his money on. We'll talk about that in depth. I still have no fucking idea what David Daco did with this money. I'm convinced that like he was just uh, squirreling it away in a bank account. Scrooge McDuckian vault. Just swimming in a, a combined tank full of francs and wan. <laughs> so Man, much I get it. Just <laughs> you smell that? It's like Mr. Krabs. I smell of money, me boy. <laughs> So much money had been pilfered from every department of every county of the government that, in large part, it ceased to exist or function at any level. Uh, when Bocasa returned, uh, he, they both kind of knew what was going to happen next. Bocasa himself openly began talking about wanting to do a coup. 
And Daku knew the military uh, The military was completely loyal to him. Not that Bokasa had done anything to him, but he was at least a soldier, you know? Mm-hmm. So he did what else but slash the military's budget to literally nothing. Uh, they could no longer pay the soldiers. Oh. <laughs> Which, before they were barely paying them anyway. At this point, civil servants weren't getting paid anymore. They were stealing so much money that nobody was getting money anymore, except like Daco and his inner circle. So he's. I just wanted to be a billionaire bus driver. The first billionaire bus driver. Yeah, he was just trying desperately to create Uber, but couldn't lose enough money. Um, <laughs> you got to get that Saudi money, man. That's <laughs> just what do they use? I don't even know what they use. Just roll that up with the, the, uh, the francs, the real, uh, the red bobby, just swimming in a Scrooge McDucky and Baltimore foreign currencies. I mean, I'm honestly kind of surprised they didn't end up. Well, I'm surprised Bokasa didn't get money from Saudi Arabia, but we'll, we'll explain why later. Uh, so instead, he decided to create what literally didn't exist before, which is like a security state. He was going to pump up the cops and create a gendarme. So like these guys will be loyal to me because I pay them. Right. Yes. Yeah, so it's a thing known for working 100 percent of the time. Right. Um, I mean, it's working in America, right? Pay cops like ninety thousand dollars a month. And they'll do whatever you want. <laughs> now. He was also attempting to pry away military loyalty from Bokasa by promoting people around him with the eventual goal of having enough leverage to demote his cousin and be done with him. Now, this plan leaked out to Bokasa because, of course, it did. He was talking to military people like, hey, uh, so this uh, Jean Bedell guy kind of kind of sucks, right? He's going to go tell him. You should promote me instead, right? So Bokasa. Yeah. Uh, I'm the one that's going to pay you. Like, actually, you haven't paid me in three months. (laughs) Now, Bokasa launched his coup at the end of that December, taking the Capitol and presidential palace without any real fight from the cops or the presidential guard. Uh, Also, the guy... So he he couldn't find Daco. And then another guy uh, was like, president's gone. Shit's popping off. I'm president now. So there's like a coup within the coup. Nice. And then lots of Alexander Haig shit. (laughs) So Bokasa locked him in a wine cellar. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just go in the basement, nerd. Uh, You ever read The Cask of Amontillado? This is going to turn out a little like that. Now, uh, Bokasa began to panic when he couldn't find Daco, thinking he had run to the French to ask for assistance, because this had happened before. Um, A coup happened. The presence, like, called the French... Um, and like, hey, my military is trying to kill me. And then the French came, French came and supported him. So he was really worried that you know the French would step in and you know shoot him. Sure. But but instead, Daco had no idea what was happening. He had left the capital to visit his friend on a plantation about eighty miles away. <laughs> uh, and he was shit faced drunk. Uh, by the time Perhaps he was different. by the time he was told what was happening, rumors of his death had begun to circulate throughout the capital. And he figured he could go back to Bangui and tell his cousin or talk to his cousin like, hey, you're being a dick. Cut it out. And he'd be like, all right. Uh, or at the very least, lead a resistance against him, right? Uh, we'll rally the cops or the gendarme or the presidential. Rarely someone with guns to tell his cousin to fuck off. Instead, he only made it a few miles down the road when he ran to some soldiers who arrested him and chucked him in prison. Oh, now, this entire coup is largely bloodless. Uh, it, it killed eight people. Now. The story behind that is very thin, but it, it, I really wish uh, the book Dark Ages went into this in more detail. They were killed by a night watchman at a radio station armed with a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eight people apparently being gunned down 
arrowed down by a night watchman armed with a bow and arrow. And this this is one of the problems I have with this book. Because if I was writing this book, even from a historical standpoint and not like, you know, flourishes of pop history, I'd want more detail than that. I mean, like the, the, the soldiers were barely armed uh, during the coup. A lot of them didn't have guns. And if they had guns, they didn't have ammo. But like also, how dedicated are you to your job as a night watchman? You're going to square up with like half of a squad of dudes and just fucking arrow them. You know, that's hey, hey man, you know, I, I play a lot of Far Cry 5. You know, I, I feel confident in my ability to wipe out eight dudes with a bow and arrow. <laughs> Can you imagine being like dude number seven or eight? Just like you can't have that <laughs> many more arrows left. <laughs> I used to be. I used to do coups like you until I took an arrow in the yeah. knee. Oh, I knew the joke was coming. It's the one joke. I have no choice. Now you don't have to be like this, Joe. There is another way. <laughs> I, no, I must be insufferable. Uh, but David Dacko would not be in prison for very long. After this, uh, with Bokasa firmly in charge, he simply walked up to the prison where his second in command during the coup, a guy named Captain Bonza, was threatening to kill Daco with a pistol, like just shoving it in his mouth and screaming at him. Oh, so like the opening of Call of Duty. Yeah, all right. Yeah, Not yeah. And yeah, Daco's yeah. just like bawling his eyes out. Aw. Now, Bokasa randomly ordered every prisoner to be released from prison. What? <laughs> now, when he was warned by the warden that, yes, there is some political prisoners in here, there's also rapists and murderers and stuff. <laughs> so he fired the warden, made himself warden, and then ordered all the prisoners to be released again. Um, I mean, I'm for prison abolition, but not quite like that. Uh, no, yeah, critical support to Bokasa the first. Uh, sorry. Uh, Daco was brought back to an army camp where he was forced to resign as president. Uh, and then while he was no longer in prison, he was effectively kept on the custody of the military, which wanted to murder him, but Bokasa refused. Now. The same mercy was not given to the same political opponents arrested that night. Uh oh. The leaders of the opposition, which had been pretty much all of Daco's yes men just a few hours ago, the guys, you know, the uh, well, let's just go with the bus drivers. They're the bus drivers who've right. been pocketing all the money. Right, right. Were brought in, tortured, and murdered right in front of Daco, who again was crying the entire time, thinking he was next. Mostly it, because Bonza is like, you're next, kind of feels like he should have been next. It kind of feels like he should have been next. I don't know if we're pro or anti-coup on this podcast, but like, you know, I always wanted to be a bus driver. I'm anti-everyone involved in this government. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. <laughs> both sides this one. Oh, enlightened centrist, Joe Kasabian. <laughs> uh, now, Bokasa needed to quickly legitimize his government in the eyes of the world, but mostly the French. Uh, he blamed everyone for failing the people, and Daco had sold the country to the Chinese, uh, allowing the communists to come in and arm a tribe of pygmies. What? Which is exactly what it sounds like. He he was telling the world, mostly the French, mind you, um, that Daco was planning a Chinese Maoist communist insurgency with a tribe of pygmies. Uh-huh. All right. I'm on board. Why not? Let's I mean, this. I wish this was true because that would be rad, but it absolutely was not. Uh, he produced guns that he said were taken from them to show the French that he had saved the country from a communist insurgency. And then he, he shot. A, and then he shot gold dust at a rock. <laughs> it's crazy how that keeps popping back up. No, the ambassador pointed out that those are French weapons and literally laughed in his face. Oh, now the Chinese were in the country. There's no evidence that they were ever attempting to foment any kind of insurgency. Um, but yeah. 
Uh, be a lot cooler if you did. I guess it couldn't do any worse than this guy. Uh, I'm I'm on team tribe of pygmies here. Also, I don't know if that's considered a derogatory term. It was used in the book. Uh, they just bleep I, it, it out. Feels <laughs> like it is right. Like he, uh, uh, but at this point, Bocasa was uh, firmly allying himself to be an anti-communist uh, because oh, he good. he knew that this would be what France wanted him to be. You know, but he here, here's my thing. Bocasa had no ideology. He loved right. him some Bocasa. That's it. There'll be a through line through this entire two-parter is that he did not care what he, what banner he had to fly. As long as he was in charge, he'd not give a fuck. So in his speech, when he took over, he talked about like the proletariats are going to take power. Uh, you know, the, the bourgeoisie will be rejected. Like his, his speech is straight up like, I don't know, like baseline communist stuff. Right. And then he, he just didn't like, believe that. Of course not. No, because he wanted to be in a photo op and that is his ideology. He wanted to, yeah, it is. Yeah. Is Jean Bedellist Bocassaist. Uh, he, he did not care if he was an Islamist, communist, anti-communist, capitalist, imperial. He didn't care as long as he got to stand around in a full uniform. Islam, like jihadist. Wait for part two. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Remember how I said Gaddafi shows up? That's why. Nice. <laughs> now, it shouldn't French, make you that happy, but it does. The French were not taking him seriously. They didn't like him. Uh, Daco was alive. So they're like, well, maybe we could just put Daco back in charge. Uh, so he did what else? He fucked with the money. He's like, you know, I'm starting to think it might be a good idea if we uh, withdraw from the, uh, the franc zone, you know, that we no longer use the French currency. Oh, and I'm sure this is going to go swimmingly. Now, this got him a state visit to Paris. Uh, they're like, no, 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 come, come back in. No, it's fine. Don't yeah, fuck like, with the money. And he and he got to meet Charles de Gaulle, the man no, he literally worships. Yeah, his 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 nationalist daddy. He got to meet his dad. This gained him legitimacy for his government. At that point, there was no longer any kind of international like iffiness about recognizing him as president. But there was a small problem. Nobody knew who this guy was except in the capital. So he got dressed up in his battle uniform, full of awards. And uh, had a photographer take p- pictures of him striking poses in front of a collection of soldiers that he ordered to stand around just for that occasion. Like, you ever heard that story where uh, Hitler took pictures of himself uh, before, like, making hand gestures and stuff before speeches? Yeah, yeah. To see how they looked? He kind of did that. And it looked just as ridiculous. Now, he dismantled the government and replaced with a revolutionary council. And what else? Elections to come. They they didn't. There's never nope. any elections. What? Come on, man. Really? In instead, this? instead, he ruled by decree, something that David Daco didn't even do. Like he oh, at geez. least he at least like passed it through the National like the Assembly. Illusion. Yeah. Now he figured Daco's ban on every other political party was actually pretty cool, and he kept that in place and then just like took over that party. He decided to tackle one of the biggest problems facing the country unemployment. Now, he did this in the most insane way possible. He simply made being unemployed illegal. That you have to get a job or you're going to go to jail. That fucking rules, to be honest with you. <laughs> now, he didn't like... I could no, see... You can't. Some, see, on this piece of paper, it says you can't. I could see some kind of like national work program where like it would be illegal for the government to not give you a job if you needed one. But like this is down to the, the individual person. Like, no, no, no. If you don't have a job in this place where we have no jobs, you're going to prison. <laughs> 
Well, you made, don't have to worry about finding a job, I suppose. He made no attempt to like is like for like a jobs program of any kind. He never tried. Uh, there was no like large scale infrastructure programs. No nothing. Uh, so people just went to prison. Um, homelessness was banned, which you, you know. <laughs> so it was begging. I shouldn't laugh because I know this guy's a horrific piece of shit. But like, like can you imagine the like idea. the Seattle City Council's like, I, I see what Bocasta the first did and we like no, it. <laughs> I think they may have gotten some inspiration. Yeah. Uh, Jenny Durkin's gonna uh, crown herself Emperor of Seattle. <coughs> now did you did you hit the vape pen, Jeff? No, I accidentally inhaled water. I mean what is what is water but pre vape? Pre vape. Um, <laughs> I took a load of pre vape in the mouth. Now Oh, well, I'm hard. I'm pointy, some might say. He made begging banned. Uh, he made that illegal, which yeah, the U.S. does that too, uh, which is not cool. Uh, any kind of nudity was banned, uh, to include in, in private. Hates fun. Uh, he also banned polygamy, which was rich because at this point he was married to six different women. Um, yeah. Like Daco, he jacked up salaries for civil servants and soldiers in order to buy their loyalty. Along with that, went promotions to everyone, to include himself to general and Bonzo to captain. He was obsessed with making things look good without taking uh, care of any of the underlying problems. For instance, he made simply any show of poverty illegal. What? Yeah, like if you lived in a shack or like a, a slum, bulldoze it. Can't have that. Oh, okay. looks, so looks the like Israeli shit. route. Got it. Are, are you going to build houses? No, <laughs> not going to do Fuck this off, shit. <laughs> he also realized, like, wow, we have no public transportation. I'm going to fix that. Oh, I'm going to buy the, the bus drivers are making nine hundred billion dollars a year <laughs> at one point. <laughs> so I'm going to buy all of these new modern buses from France, and France obviously is fine with that because they just filter the money they give him right back into their own economy. You know, sure. S- small problem. They don't have any roads, Liam. Off-roading buses. <laughs> Off-road buses. By October of that same year, he finally openly admitted he had no intention of ever stepping down from office. Soon, pictures of him popped up everywhere on walls, posters, and billboards. People wore shirts with his face on it as they walked out of multiple dirt roads that had been renamed after him, some which turned right into others. There is a good chance that you could g- drive down Bocasa Avenue and turn right onto Bocasa Street. <laughs> He even said something like, kind of sweet. He even like went like uh, said some shit that you would straight up get out of like 1984. He it, during his speech he said, "Quote: I am everywhere and I am nowhere. I can hear everything yet nothing. I can see nothing, but I can see all." All right, guy. Yeah, right? Relax. <laughs> That's like some super village shit. He held lavish banquets for tribal chiefs and diplomats, so it cost millions of dollars where he'd eat and drink himself into unconsciousness while his country, at large, starved. Anyone who spoke against him was sent to prison, uh, which, despite being emptied previously, had become so overcrowded within a year, it became known as the Devil's Hole. Oh. <laughs> no health care was given to anybody who was locked up there, and sometimes they wouldn't get food for days or weeks. So some of you are like, wow, Joe, you can't just not eat for weeks at a time. You're right. You die. You just die in prison from starving to death. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Sentences and death sentences were seemingly handed out at random, depending on the mood that Bocasa happened to be in on that very hour. While prison guards and wardens bilked families out of money, promising to release their loved ones and then not releasing them when payment was made, Bocasa would also randomly order the death or release of people without warning. 
At one point, he simply walked in and ordered everybody there on a murder charge to be executed while releasing all the women. Uh, okay. This is not how prison abolition is supposed to go. <laughs> it is, no, you simply get rid of all of the prisoners, and then you have no prisoners. Wait. That's, that's, how you, uh, yeah? Are you, are you going to release them? No, no, no. I'm going to beat them to death. No, like, no, no. Mm, no, 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 no. Old-fashioned way. Old-fashioned prison abolition. It was even joked within the prison that you could be released any day as easy as you could die because you never knew what the fuck Bocasa was going to do next. God, that's depressing. <laughs> now, another guy that eventually became the victim of Bocasa's randomly spinning mind was his second in command and current minister of finance, the new Colonel Bonza. He, he kept getting promoted, you see. Of course uh, he did. Bonza continually told Bocasa that, like, we have no money. Please stop spending it on stuff. Like he was like seemed to be the one guy in government that was good at his job. Well, at least attempting to be good at his job. Trying to trying to do his job. Yeah, I am minister of finance. I should do finance things. And then when he attempted to do finance things, Bocasa's like, wait, no, that's not how this works. And 20 years in prison. Ooh, no. Uh Bocasa took this to mean that this man meant to overthrow him. Oh, of course. Yeah, why not? Sure. Now, there is some evidence that Bonza did mean to do that, probably because he realized he helped put a crazy person in charge. Just imagine like 2 a.m. been drinking, just like, oh, no. <laughs> I fucked up. Oh, now, boy. Oh, he, what are we he, finally, do? <laughs> he finally did start planning a coup when he got demoted. There's some like minor. Understandable. Joe, you should have done that. Right. For my, my tiny base in Afghanistan, like, I will overthrow the president. Um. Now, uh, he was demoted like randomly. He was sent to some depths of the agriculture department or something that he had nothing to do with. Granted, he wasn't like an accountant before this either. He he just got jobs that Bocasa wanted him to have. Gotcha. Now his plan failed and he was arrested. Unlike Daco, he got executed and buried in unmarked grave. Oh, yeah. Okay, then. Now all of this is what I would consider a boilerplate dictator shit, right? Um, right. you got you know the the. Crazed lust for power, executing your enemies, executing your friends. Finding enemies when there is no enemies. Um, now, after the death of Bonza, or the murder of Bonza, rather, Bokasa seemed to go completely insane. Now, like his friend and coup buddy was like the only person that could talk to him, like he was still a person. Right. Could rein him in even a little bit. He was the only one with balls to actually be like, yo, we shouldn't do that. Um, now when Bonzo was gone, he made himself in charge of the promotion system within the entire army. Nobody could get promoted or demoted without his approval. Now granted, remember, he's also president. Uh, <laughs> like one of the, just giving himself all these, this private needs to be promoted. Uh, pass it up to the president. <laughs> I'm a this, corporal now. <laughs> yeah, actually something even weirder than that happens. Okasa is... Like there's a saying when when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Uh, Hunter yes. S. Thompson said that he is the epitome of that. Um, at one point, a Frenchman was being rude to him. Uh, they were arguing over a trade agreement, and a soldier who was is variously described as a a private and a sergeant walked up and slapped him in the face. Um, oh. Bocasa immediately promoted that man to a general on the spot. Oh, okay then. Now, this wasn't the only place he did this. One time he went into the hospital and was so impressed by a nurse's bedside manner, he promoted her to doctor. Now, that's not a promotion. That's not how being a doctor works. 
you don't just like put in the elbow grease as a nurse and one day work your way up to be a doctor. Right. Another time he went into a building where a janitor was at work and promoted him to CEO because the floors were so clean. What? Oh, I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, like, he doesn't have the power to do that, but nobody's going to tell him he doesn't. Well, yeah, you know? he's, he's dictated. Who gives a shit? He can do whatever he wants. He also made himself the decision maker for every department of the government, meaning that when he was gone, nothing could legally be done. No function of government could be could be signed off on when Bocasso was out of the country. And he went abroad a lot, meaning even the, the stupid things the government did do, couldn't they couldn't even do that. Right. Um, also, the reliance on decree meant that nobody was really sure what was legal and what was not. He would... There's no central issuing authority at all. There was no like, him, right? There was no like Department of Law and Decree. They're like, there's hey, he signed of, something new today. There's the Department of Guy. Yeah, there's the Department of Guy. John. <laughs> uh, decrees were announced over the radio, and uh, not everybody had a radio. Uh, so, like a lot of parts of the of the Republic, people just like, hey, I heard over the radio that like. We can't have a shed, like we can't have a tin roof anymore. Or the the government's going to come and make us homeless. Or I heard over the radio that when we fuck, we only can say Bocasa's name. But but, but like, imagine a country wide game of telephone, telephone but for laws. <laughs> yeah, like oh, what a horrible way to go. <laughs> also, he occasionally like just put out decrees that one would override the other. So like nobody was really sure what was illegal or not. Um, and his laws were pretty much ignored outside of the capital because nobody knew what the fuck to do with them. Right. And it's not like he was coming because the roads are all dirt and they have off-road buses. Oh, he wasn't cat tracks. He wasn't going to go out there. He was going to dirty himself by talking to the proles. He's like, I'm going to stay myself. My he had like six palaces at this point. To be fair, I would also like six palaces. I don't even have one palace. New patron goal. Uh, Get us a palace. By 1972, he officially made himself president for life and a marshal of the Republic. Uh, now, he insisted his ministers of government call him Papa, um, which is that's, creepy. That's, that's fucking weird. weird. I don't like that. Now, if anybody remembers how we started this episode, uh, probably just had their ears perk up by the, uh, the, the, the Napoleonic nerd calling himself a marshal. Uh, more than that, he gave himself a new uniform, a blue military outfit with gold trim, modeled off of Mar- uh, Marshal Michel Ney, one of Mar- uh, Napoleon's marshals of empire. Did he uh, wear it everywhere? Please tell me he wore it everywhere. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, he, uh, he gave himself so many random medals and awards at this point, he had to reinforce the right side of his jacket to hold them all. Oh, that's a real Idi Amin shit. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, I think Idi Amin's uniform is still more ridiculous. But to be fair, Idi Amin doesn't eventually make himself emperor. So point match, Bokasa. Now, he also carried a cane with him at all times. Um, this was to mask Olympia developed on a horrible case of untreated gout he had developed. Of course, uh, this guy had fucking gout. <laughs> because he wouldn't stop eating cheese. <laughs> he, 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 Kim Jong-un himself a limp. I'm not surprised. Not even a little. But he declared it his... Cane of Justice. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Okay, dude, rock. Go on. Uh, and then he uh, would beat the shit out of anyone who displeased him. This extended to punishments to prisoners sentenced to death, who were then beaten to death while he watched. Uh, now, when the UN point out that like that's awful and you Don't shouldn't do that. do that, he called the general general secretary of the United Nations quote a pimp for colonialism, a bitch. 
Also, not wrong. Her- Heartbreaking. The worst person you know just made a great point. <laughs> yes, like I, I, I love that he's walking around with like an official justice pimp cane and calling the general secretary a bitch, trick ass bitch. Fuck off. Now, at this point, his friendship with France was failing, mostly because France refused to give Bocasa any more money. They were providing tens of millions of dollars a month in assistance, which Bocasa then spent randomly, mostly on food and booze for himself and his friends. Uh, when France didn't upgrade his allowance, he decided he'd give communism a try. Kind of. Now, I will call his attempt at communism uh, what anybody would attempt to do should you, I don't know, breeze over an article or two and then call yourself a communist, right? He appealed to communist nations for money, mostly Romania under Nikolai Ceausescu for some reason. (laughs) Like him and Ceausescu were best friends, which is a weird relationship. I did not see coming. Okay. Kind of here for it though. I mean, for people who are unaware of like the insanity of the Ceausescu Romanian government, give it a quick Google. We'll eventually talk about it uh, and how he was overthrown, but like dude is nuts. Um, Now he effectively, so, you know, normally it's the unwritten thing. That's like, uh, you know, it's obvious this guy will just do whatever as long as anybody gives him money. He'll be communist if Romania gives him money. He'll be French if French give him money. He right. straight up said, I'll adopt any ideology that you want if you build a modern train system within the country. Shockingly, oh, there were no takers. Oh, like the one time, like train system. every communist is like, yo, but like <laughs> nobody would do it. I think everybody just hated him. Uh, now, he fired every French agriculture specialist in the country, replacing them with his friends. I, I was when I was reading this, I was really assuming he would just like adopt Lysenkoism. <laughs> like, fuck it, I'll do communism but plants. <laughs> um, but most importantly, none of these guys have ever worked on a farm before in their life. Uh, Bocasa poured money into new collective farms, which not only went against the traditions of the people in the area, it reminded them of the days of the corvée. Because now they're like, no, you're all going to farm together for the government. And they're like, yeah, we, ch- we did that before. That shit sucks. Uh, furthermore, this is a country full of people who are kind of hungry, right? Um, they, they're definitely a hand-to-mouth, best-case scenario, subsistence farming, right? Uh, but he wanted them to grow cash crops instead of food. Uh-uh. Uh, yeah. Now, according to this plan, known as what else but Operation Bocasa, crops are supposed to triple. They fell by 19% and caused a famine. Oh. (laughs) Oh, no. But none of this slowed him down. He built the university, the University of Bocasa. (laughs) What else? It started a national airline staffed by a single DC-8 airplane called the Bocasa. Uh, Going further and further into debt, the banks of Carr refused to loan him any more money, worried that his spending could actually impact the entire franc currency as a whole. Like, yeah. So uh, he simply shut down the bank uh, and and was about to print his own francs when France... his own face on them. (laughs) Yeah, this is the Bocasa franc. Um, And then France is finally like, oh shit, okay, we'll be friends with them again. Mostly because the president had changed. A guy named Valerie Giscard had become president, no, noted for claiming a noble bloodline and being a bit of a vain dickhead himself. Now, more than a national friendship with Bocasa, they became personal friends. Uh, there's also rumor that they occasionally had orgies with sex workers when the French president visited the country. 
you know, unbreakable bonds of brotherhood. <laughs> As you do. We cross swords. We must be friends. Um, now, I do have to say, not that I give a shit about Valerie Giscard or his legacy. There's no evidence of this other than Bokasa constantly telling everyone that they totally bang sex workers together. I believe it. I think that yeah. stuff happens more often than people think yeah. it does. I have no reason to not believe it. Yeah. I'm just saying I haven't seen anyone other than the French deny it. Now, this could be because the two are close, uh, but what is more likely is Giscard was very good at his job of protecting French interests in the region. As Bocasa reached out to people who were supposed to be France's enemy, he was worried that what would happen to the most important resource in the country that France wanted to keep, uranium. Remember, France is a nuclear power. Yep. So, by Eiffel towering a couple of people and giving him money, he managed to keep Bocasa on Team France. Yes, I use the term Eiffel Towering on purpose there. <laughs> Though by this point, the French public had heard about the weird guy with the justice stick and the crazy spending, and he was very fucking unpopular. So Giscard had to tell Bocasa he would give them more money, uh, but he had to stop building palaces for everybody. Bocasa Lame. Lame. However, that still was not enough for him. So he glanced upward, still within the French sphere of influence, looking for friends with money. And that is where he found Momar Gaddafi. And that is where we'll pick up next week. Christ. <laughs> I fucking love this guy. Like, he's he's an evil psychopath, right? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not debating that he's a good person. Like, I mean, he, is he any different than, like, literally any Roman emperor? Probably not. Nah. Uh, but, like, he's in power for, I think, 12 years. Uh, and all of them just shoelace eating insane. I, I love it. Um, and you're probably asking, why are you covering this on the military history podcast? He was in the military. Shut up. Check that block. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Liam, thank you for joining us. Uh, plug your podcast. Uh, you can't follow me on Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess listen to my podcast. Uh well, there's your problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. We also, just released our country music bonus episode. Is he country music? All right. It's Fair good. Enough. No, it's a good episode. Alice, Alice went to town. Uh, if you like sci-fi, or even if you don't, uh, buy my book, The Prisoner's Dilemma. Uh, it is available on, for free on Kindle Unlimited, so you can literally get it for free. Or if you don't have Kindle Unlimited, it's a dollar. Uh, or you can you know, buy a paperback or whatever. Um, buy so, his book. Yeah. Buy it. It's 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 good, and clearly I am not biased. Um, and thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, and join us next time for part two, where Bokasa becomes emperor. It's good. Uh, later.